This episode is one that is near and dear to our hearts. Robin and I have dedicated a lot of energy into helping advisors grow their team the right way. And one major aspect of bringing on assistance is knowing how to categorize your new team member. I am accompanied by Paige Griffith. She partnered with us to create the client terms and conditions template that we are so proud of, and she's a wonderful sounding board for legal advice. Whether you've been tempted to bring on an assistant as a contractor, or if you've toyed with hiring an employee to help you scale your business, this episode is for you. Hey, it's your travel industry best friends, Robin and Jen from Teak. We're obsessed with practically anything that touches your business and allows you to scale to the level of success that you've always dreamt of. With Robin's background in sales and marketing and Jennifer's experience as a management level HR professional, we grew a small itinerary creation company into a multi-million dollar travel agency. And now we aim to help others skip the hard stuff and get right to the big wins. We're probably each recording this holding a glass of wine. So pour one up with us, grab a seat, and join us to talk all things travel and business. Welcome, Paige. Before we dive into the topic at hand, I want you to introduce yourself and share a little bit on how you got into law, as well as how you grew your business with your template shop and as well as your practice. Well, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. This is a conversation I have been looking forward to over the past couple of weeks because we've been just chatting about what we're going to teach people today. And this is one of the topics that's also near and dear to my heart. How can I help business owners be empowered to hire better and do it the right way? So we're going to get into that. I am an attorney. I'm an educator. I am also a photographer. (laughs) I I have all kinds of entrepreneurship endeavors, multi-passionate, you could say. But one of the best parts about what I do is I, I don't just teach. I walk the walk as well. I'm in entrepreneurship. I have businesses. I've had businesses. I know what it's like to run an online business. So that is honestly how the legal page was born. I went to law school, ran a full-time photography business, was pretty successful. I live in Montana, so carried throughout the Western Montana, did it full-time. Then I decided to do that alongside being a full-time law clerk for a federal judge after law school. That was a crazy time, but it was a really good transitional period for me after law school because I worked for some firms in law school and then I wanted to work for firms after my clerkship. And it was just a a pivotal change in my life trajectory at the time. The judge I worked for knew I did photography. He was wonderful. It was just the best couple of years of my life because he was honestly the one I'll never forget it. He sat me down and he was like, I just think you're going to do something different with your life and the skills that you have. And I not like give you permission, so to speak, but like maybe you shouldn't go to these interviews for these law firms Interesting. I I think you should try to do something yourself. And it's really interesting because that very last year when I was working for him, I was like, I kind of want to combine both my passions into one. Like I'm really into this entrepreneurship thing and my photography. And I was building a team at the time. I had associates. I had people working for me. Like the business was thriving all the while. Like I work so hard in academia and I work for a federal judge and I have like jobs that could be on a silver platter for me. And I was like, what do I do? And it was nice for someone who, you know, was in their 70s who had had a lifelong legal career to be like, it's okay to not take the path that everyone took, like take the path less traveled down. So I did. (laughs) And I opened the legal page in 2018. I had a beautiful year before that of kind of doing it behind the scenes, starting a blog. I couldn't take any money because of ethical reasons while working for a judge. So it was just like kind of all fell into place. And the legal page started 2018. We had a couple of years to like hit the ground running, made a few contract templates, did some podcasts, started my own podcast in 2019, did a lot of blogging and like SEO. And then 2020 hit and I just happened to be at the right place at the right time with the right business and understanding the online world and service provider world in particular. And that's kind of when our business blew up. And I was really willing to help at that time. And I just remember those, you know, pivotal months, March, April, May, 2020, and 
helped as many business owners as I could for 16 hours a day. And we were all in crazy land. I know the travel industry was in particular, as well with the wedding and event industry that I was primarily serving at the time. And Jennifer and I didn't even know each other at that point of time. But it's crazy because TLP kind of became a well-known contract template platform online and then virtual legal platform for information online. And since then, we have grown beyond just the wedding and event industry. And now we serve all kinds of different entrepreneurs and service providers. Everyone kind of went into the online space. If you were at a brick and mortar, you didn't really have a choice at the time. Everyone needed to go online. And so we help people with that and the legalities surrounding it. And that's the story of the legal page. So that's what I do day in and day out for the most part now. We now have over 300 products in our shop. (laughs) Which is insane. Yeah. And thousands of people who follow us on various platforms. And then in tandem with that, you did mention Griffith Law Firm. So I do have a law firm. Myself and my associate were very small. We do some one on one trademark and copyright work for people. So, some intellectual property things on the side. We don't take on too many clients, um, but we do have that separation there where we work with one on one clients. But contract-wise, that's all just with the legal page. That's amazing. So there's a bunch in that that I would love to spend time peeling back. And I know we have a lot of content to deliver, so I won't go too deep into this. But I want to say that I did not have the blessing of a mentor that promoted me challenging the norm. So I love that someone that was very tenured and seasoned in their profession did give you that permission because many times that's all it takes, right? If that person had said, Paige, you're going to be great down XYZ path, that reinforcement and that positive affirmation may have pushed you in a different direction. And it would have been easy for him to say that, right? Because that's the path that sounds like he had taken. Yeah, and the path that I was basically on. Like I was training, I felt like I couldn't get off of. And I wanted to, right? Like you train, you basically train your whole life to like do the trial attorney thing and work at a firm and become a partner. Like that's what you're supposed to do, quote unquote. Well, I love that. So I think that's a reiteration that if you are in a position of mentoring someone, like really listen to them, hear them, and also take note of their very unique talents and promote them in a way that allows them to grow into their own. Because now you've brought your gift to hundreds, potentially thousands of businesses that have and your tagline, I love it, is like getting legally legit. You've helped them feel so much more confident in operating their business. And I know that you've protected people from mass financial risk. So I think that's really powerful and something for us to remember as we're in the similar position. So the other thing that I want to mention is I do love these like moments where you just kind of realize that everything that you've worked for was meant to be and perfectly aligned and is like this realization of like, oh, every stumble, every hardship, all of this was brought to this point. And I feel like that's what you had in 2020 was like, okay, every transition that I've made that was really a challenge that felt like a setback in that time, you were actually in preparation for helping others in this very chaotic and uncertain time. So I just think there's a lot to learn from that as well, because as you know, our audience, travel advisors, they all have a lot of, I would say, trauma associated with 2020. It is really a stepping stone to something greater. And I think that everyone in this like travel rebound season can see like, okay, that may have been really catastrophic. But in retrospect, I took time to rebrand or get my systems in order or whatever it was, it gave you that pause and it positioned you to be stronger in the future. So The last thing that I want to say on that is I found you, as you mentioned, I did not know you back in 2018 when you started, but I did find you in the midst of COVID, which was great timing, but it was because of the content you were putting out and you were educating your audience in a free format. And I love that about you. And we just talked about how many podcasts you've been on and what the ROI is and all of this. And you really spend so much time gifting your knowledge at zero to low cost. I think you just, you give away your information so freely. So before we dive into the actual topic of the podcast, can you share your philosophy behind why you so freely give information and how that's benefited your business? 
Yeah, I think if you are on the road of like everything has to have a monetary benefit to you, it's not a good way to do business in this day and age, to be very frank. I think that's one of the silver linings and biggest lessons I've learned since 2020 is it's really interesting. If I look back at like 2018 and 2019, like we were in the red. I didn't know what I was doing. I like kind of thought this business wasn't going to work. And then when I just started freely educating and not feeling like I needed to have any quid pro quo there, people really latch onto that. People care about free education. And honestly, people care about educators who care and who truly care and who are in it for the right reasons. You know, it's not that I wasn't. It, it's just that I think that attachment to like a quid pro quo isn't the right way to go about online business nowadays. People want to hear from you and your expertise and your backstories and your experiences or clients that you've worked with so that they can do better without having to like pay for anything to get that information. And now information is so freely given that if you're not willing to join that space, I think you're putting yourself <laughs> at a disadvantage. So honestly, my philosophy is just that I, I'm really passionate about what I do And I think one of the philosophies I had in the legal space was this was such a world where lawyers wouldn't give information without you paying them. And I was like, WTF, like I'm a millennial (laughs) and I'm in my 20s and like this needs to change. And I knew that prior to 2020, like the legal world wasn't even online. And I was like, I'm going to just like trailblaze here and like wild, wild west online virtual lawyer. I had a lot of pushback. People are like, what are you doing? The legal world isn't going to like that. Like, why are you doing all these things? You know, you're going to hurt us in the long run, right? Like we get paid for discovery calls. That's how the legal world works. And I think I knew early on that the, the landscape was changing online because I had an online business. And I used that reasoning to continue to create TLP and the education that I freely gave. And then the world figured it out in 2020. And the whole legal world had to go online as well. And they were just a little bit late to the game, to be honest with you. I think a lot of virtual lawyers really thrived at that time because the other law firms were just trying to like figure out how to like file paperwork online because they had done it, you know, the old way. And now I think there's a, there's a lot of good free legal education and you don't have to like Google down rabbit holes and go into blogs and you can really just get the answers that you need quickly, efficiently. That's what business owners want. I, I don't know if that answered your question because no, it does. it's kind of it, a hard question to answer. I just, I love doing it. And you just said it though. I think like that's the magic sauce is that you love doing it. And I felt your passion and your enthusiasm in your social media And there is something to be said for you enthusiastically sharing your information with other people so they can do better. And this very, I just feel like honest effort towards bettering everyone's experience in the entrepreneurial world. Like it just felt very authentic. And when you remove the monetization and you just have fun with it, which is what I think a lot of your reels were, like I just really genuinely feel like you were having fun with it. I was like, this woman is so powerful yet vulnerable and approachable. Like you were, you were breaking down that shell between like legal, which can feel very unapproachable at times and making it fun. And just, I think that also being a millennial, you foresaw the need for things to be online. Like you said, you got ahead of the curve, you challenged what the norm was. And we always say to our advisors, like, you don't have to do business like the person next to you. You you do not have to offer this comprehensive service if your clients only want part of that service. Like the service suite concept is something we're very passionate about. And I feel like you kind of can relate to that in this way that you're like, maybe not all my clients need hourly billing, maybe they need templates. So you thought like, what is going to resonate with my audience? What's going to make law more approachable and usable for people and maximize my accessibility to people on an individual basis? And you did it. And I, I do think that there's a parallel that can be drawn from that to the travel world when people think like, okay, how can I do business differently than what I have done? 
even if it means I'm unlearning or rethinking everything that I do on a daily basis. That's what we have to do as online entrepreneurs in general. Just be ready for change and open to change and and do business the way you want to do business, mm-hmm. not the way your friend does it. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So let's get into the nitty gritty. The topic of this podcast episode is should your assistant be an independent contractor? And we don't mean independent contractor by the way that travel advisors think of independent contractor. We mean contracted labor for the sake of outsourcing certain tasks in your business, or should they be brought on as an employee, a direct hire of your team? Paige, can you shed light on the biggest differences between those two structures? Absolutely. Okay. So we are getting into the nitty gritty here. <laughs> Let's just dive off into the deep end here. I'll try to be as fun as possible talking about <laughs> this conversation, my friends. Four big things that I want you to remember when we're kind of weighing whether we're bringing a worker on as a contractor or employee. Have you ever had an unhappy client and then immediately checked to make sure that your terms and conditions had you covered? If not, props to you, but that's not the case for everyone. If you're like us and you want to make sure that your client can't hold you financially accountable for any loss due to last minute cancellation, because of bad weather, a missed flight, a positive COVID test, or any other situation, we know they happen, then you'll be happy to know that the legal page has your back. The Legal Page is an online template shop run by a real lawyer, Paige Griffiths. She took the time to work with us and get to know the ins and outs of the travel business so that she could make an incredibly robust terms and conditions template. If you're ready to get legally legit, start with The Legal Page. Our link to the travel industry specific agreements can be found in the show notes. Flexibility and control, tax implications, ability to part ways, and cost implications. So starting with the first, if you have an employee, you have a lot more say in controlling them. And honestly, flexibility and control is the name of the game here. It really hinges on your control over this worker. And it is a gray area. I don't have a clear cut answer for you because everybody does business differently. So employees, you can control their schedule. You can have them work every single day at a certain time that you work. You control their pay rate. They don't get to set that for you. This is what you're offering. They can accept to be an employee at that amount, whether that's hourly or salary or, you know, monthly rate, stipend, whatever that is. And you control how they work on a project. And I know that is the one that's probably we're going to dive into a little bit more because you do control what independent contractors do, but on a different playing field. Contractors, the main thing you really need to take a hold of is for the most part, they're kind of their own business owners, right? They're contracting out their help with hopefully you and or some other business. If they're just working for you, they look an awful lot like an employee. So be just careful of that. It's not impossible to do. But for the most part, they really need to look like they're contracting, right? They're gig workers. They're working for different people at different times of the day. You can't have a set schedule for them. Can't control that. You can allow them to finish projects or tasks that they get done on their own time if they're on a couch. You can't ask them to be online from 11 to 3 every single day because that's your preferred time of working and you need to be able to talk back and forth with them. That is an employee for legal purposes, my friend. Like You will get flagged every day of the week if they say they were incorrectly designated as a contractor and they present that type of evidence to get workers' compensation or to get UI benefits or something along those lines because you misclassified them. So They set their own pay rate. They send you invoices. It's like control is just not there except for kind of like the final project or the final task that needs to get done. They need to get that done, right? Within a timely fashion, whatever you set that as. But can you set deadlines? Yeah. For for a contractor. For contractors. Absolutely. You can set deadlines. Can you define the process of how they do a project? Yeah, absolutely. That was actually a burning question of me. I'm like, if I bring on someone as a contractor, can I mandate, and I guess that's a that's a hard word, that's the critical word there, can I mandate exactly the steps that they take mm-hmm. to do the process? Okay. Yeah, it's all about a balancing act. 
again, the legal world is gray. Honestly, the contractor world is pretty gray. And since 2020, there's been more and more and more contractors. So I just like to think of it as, do you want a virtual assistant versus an in-person secretary? (laughs) Like if you can really distinguish your person as being more like one than the other, you're going to be okay. If you're controlling the SOPs, the workflow and the final product, that's fine. Then don't control you know, them make sure they're invoicing you, make sure they're their own business invoicing you. They're doing it on their own timeframe throughout the week. And you're just periodically checking in with them, right? You can't get mad that they're not responding back to you within the hour. Like they're a contractor, they can do what they want, but you can control the final product. So again, balancing act here, that's flexibility and control tax implications. Really, an independent contractor just pays their own taxes. The company issues a 1099, a 1099-NEC if you're paying through, you know, a direct deposit format or check format. If they're sending you an invoice from like PayPal or Stripe or Square or something along those lines or their own CRM system, right, if they have their own business then you're not sending out 1099s. That's like the easiest way to do it, which is great because the payment settlement entities are now legally required to send them out for tax purposes. Those are called 1099Ks. I have a lot of contractors that I won't hire them if they don't send me an invoice through these platforms because that's less tax and legal liability on myself because that very much looks like they're a contractor. (laughs) That was my next question to you is, should every contractor that you bring on one be their own legal entity as an LLC? Like even if you find your next door neighbor is looking for some extra hours and you don't want to mandate when they're doing it, you're like, I just want to pay you hourly or project wise or however, and we'll get deeper into that. That's, Mm -hmm. I shouldn't have said that as an example, (laughs) but Do you recommend that they have an LLC and is it required that they invoice you proactively? And again, we're going to get deeper into that, but just since we're already on this topic. Yeah, those two can honestly be mutually exclusive in my professional opinion, because I think invoicing is more important than the other person being an LLC. I think a lot of gig workers and contractors don't want to like start their own business if they aren't one. So a lot of people in like the virtual assistant or contractor space when they're just getting started or sole proprietors, I just want them to like have their own business name and send me an invoice so that they look an awful lot like they're contracting with me. And in that respect, I want them to sign an independent contractor agreement with my company. So if those two things are going hand in hand, I don't totally care if they are a sole proprietor or an LLC recommendation wise, yeah, it's way better to work with an LLC because you're even just bolstering your defenses to them being truly a contractor. And you guys, we're just talking here about if you get audited or if something like you're wondering, you have to assess your own risk as a business owner. Everyone has different risk tolerances, right? Some people are risk averse. Some people are really risk tolerant. And so I don't know where you fall, but you need, this is like, you got to dig deep. Like, where are you at? Are you like, okay, if I do some of these things that Paige says, like I have good arguments on my side that I did my due diligence in hiring this person as a true contractor. And you're really just waiting (laughs) for the the minor possibility that they could come back and be like, no, I was an employee. I want XYZ benefit and I got taxed wrong. The chances of that happening are slim, but they do happen. And so that's what Jennifer and I are trying to like help you avoid here. People are getting more savvy nowadays and especially with like the financial landscape of our world and inflation and tax changes all the time with contractors and people on payroll Some people want to, like, you just never know how it's going to end too, right? I could get into that. But if they're terminated and it's like there's a bunch of bad blood, you have no idea what they're going to come after you for. And that is what I'm trying to proactively prepare you in advance for the what if scenarios that occur. Employees, you're paying their taxes. That's all you need to know. Like they're on payroll, you're paying your share of taxes. So it is a little bit more expensive to have employees for really only that purpose. But a lot of times there's a cost benefit analysis there of 
that cost is 100% worth it because one, they're an employee. I can tell them to do whatever I want. I have full control over them. And a lot of times there's certain workers in your company that just make way more sense as an employee and to take on that extra financial burden a little bit and liability burden, right? You have to usually have some type of insurance for them. Ability to part ways. This is really important for you to know about. A lot of people that are hiring contractors like still like to think of them as employees where like there's a little bit more wiggle room and like termination and like having them leave and finish out projects and payment and they have to give you two weeks notice and all of these different things like contractors can leave at any time. They don't have to give you a reason. They can say they're done today and that's it. And you're they're off the hook. And same with you. You can let an independent contractor go for whatever reason at any time. Employees, there's a little bit more of a process, you know, formal process that needs to occur when parting ways. So there's a lot more legal protections in place with employees with termination. So just know that going into it, right? You have to terminate the right way so that you're not putting more liability on yourself during termination procedures. And lastly, cost implications. We kind of talked about this with taxes. Generally speaking, employees are more expensive just because you have to usually give them some type of benefits when they're working for you, whether that's PTO or additional creative benefits. A lot of people can't give health care and those type of things. But retaining employees, you have to look into that. You have to pay your share of taxes. So, you know, someone who is $1,500 a month, if they're on payroll, it's it's a, a bit more expensive, right? You're looking upwards of probably like 1800 or 2000 when you pay your share of taxes every month. And you have to pay for everything for employees when they work for you, right? So sometimes they can have their own equipment, uh, like their own computer if they're working for you as an employee. But any type of like platform or software, anything like that, you're going to be taken care of. That's why people love the contractor route is they are liable for paying their own equipment and expenses throughout the duration of your working relationship. So those are the four. I kind of want to go into like hypotheticals because I feel like it would really shed light on that. So you you talked about control over time. So in the travel world, a lot of advisors want to bring on a VA. And one of those tasks that they want to outsource is like potentially being a backup point of contact in case of emergency. Let's think about that because to me, that's very time sensitive. If I am out of office, I am saying to this person, hey, I want you to be the backup response to anyone in travel when I'm not in the office. To me, that is either an outsourced contracted service, like a true answering service, or it is an employee that is probably salaried. And that could be a whole nother podcast is like hourly or salary. So we won't even go into the complications of that. But if you're expecting someone to handle an emergency situation that's time sensitive, talk through the potential structure of that. Yeah, I think it can be either or. Just with a contractor, you have to have a lot of ability for them to say yes or no to that scenario. So it can't, I would say it can't be part of their job description like an employee could, where you could hand that off to them at any time that you see fit. For contractors in that respect, you would really need to be very clear and probably have it in writing that, hey, this is occurring. Are you available to do this? and not make them say yes. Like if they have the ability to say yes or no to taking on a task or a project, that still puts them in the category as an independent contractor. So that's the most important thing is control here. You're not in full control. You're allowing them to say yes or no. And I'm sure there's probably some travel advisors then that are like, oh, well, I mean, I have to have that at all times. That's a conversation you need to have then when Mm -hmm. hiring this person, right? Like, what is your availability? Is this something that you're willing to do? I think with travel advisors too, if you're out of office and you need some help, like it really isn't, you know, you're on the clock all the time. It's still in contractor land where like they know that they may get the call, Okay. but they're deciding to take the call. That's tough. (laughs) Yeah, it is tough. 
I think the the travel industry land is it's a little bit different with yeah. uh, assistance. I think people always assume that they can just go contractor route and they're going to be totally fine. Mm-hmm. I think you all have to really, really think long and hard about that particular worker that's coming on for you. And would it just be way more worth it to bring them on as an employee and not have to deal with this? But again, what is your risk tolerance here? Like you have to go back to that as well. Yeah, I brought on Ashlyn when I owned Explorator as a contractor initially, and I quickly recognized that I needed structure, but so did she. So it was actually to the benefit of both of us. Like I think a lot of the time what I wanted to say when you're speaking earlier is kind of like the flip side of that. There are so many people now that yes, they want to be remote, but they still desire structure in their day. And so there's this strange tension around like, if I'm remote, there's this kind of like implication that you're a contractor and that's absolutely not true anymore, right? I feel like the transition since 2020 has really clarified that there can be fully remote roles that are truly employee structures. And I think that I was even a little bit gray on that when I first went into the relationship with with Ashlyn. And I was like, oh, well, she's remote. She kind of has autonomy over her day. And then I realized she doesn't really. Like based on what's happening in my business, I am requesting certain things of her. And my expectation is that they are done. And it's not my expectation that she can say no to that based off of her workload because she has potentially other people that she's servicing. And you have to think about it that way. Contractors can take on multiple clients. And so if they don't have space for your tasks, they don't have to say yes. And that's where VA services come into play. Usually the VA that you hire from a third-party agency, they might have 10 quote-unquote accounts, which is a client. And so they might not have space for additional or emergency tasks or projects that take longer. And I realized I needed an employee because I wanted to be like, no, I want to deep dive into this data and deprioritize something we've been working on, shuffle it around. And I wanted her to have a little bit more versatility in what she was doing for the business rather than specifying single tasks, which is where we as as Teak, we've started to outsource things and it's usually very departmentally specific. Like we would outsource social media to a social media specialist or agency. And that is where a lot of the differentiation came for me is like, who is a specialist? And that's usually where I'm pulling in a contractor. Whereas a generalist that I want on hand to assist with multiple tasks in the business that's where I've leaned more towards an employee and you're nodding your head. So what are your thoughts on that? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, my additional take on that too is like, how much do you want this person to care about your business? (laughs) Loyal and trustworthy because a contractor, if you're having someone like be the phone call, if shiz is hitting the fan during a travel experience with a client and you're not available, like they could probably not respond and have zero liability in that respect. And it's on you. So you're like putting this task onto someone that you don't even know if it's going to get done the right way. And they don't care about your business the way you care about your business. But an employee, I can tell you usually does like the right employee that is there. There is a cost to them Mm -hmm. not answering that phone call and not getting it done. Like it's in their job description an independent contractor, there's no skin in the game there. And that's the thing is like, I'm sure some of you are like, but I have a great independent contractor. Like, I'm sure I could find one that's loyal. Like, mm, my friend, like I've been in business a long time. And even the people that I think are the most loyal of loyal contractors, like, no, they're very, very like selfish in their own respect, which all the power to them. Like that's why they're a contractor. Correct. Independent contractor. By nature, like they get to control their own life. And if they're not available to answer that phone call, like they don't have to, like, it's just different with an employee. So understanding that distinction too, is really important as a business owner in the travel world. I think that's probably to me, the primary point that we focused on when we started to bring on team members it was like, first of all, this is just fair. It's fair for 
these people who are dedicating their time to us and are emotionally invested in us to return that favor to them and say, I am loyal to you just as much you are being loyal to me. And I am creating a space that's stable for you moving forward. I am promising income to you. And I, I, I think that's scary for a lot of business owners when they're like, well, a contractor, if things go sideways, I don't have to continue working with them. An employee, I have to continue paying them. And that is correct. <laughs> so there, there is a lot of financial preparation that goes into making this decision. I'm not, I'm not minimizing that. Do you have anything to, to say kind of on that financial scope of preparing to take on the weight of paying someone's salary long term? I think you just really have to shed that from your fear list and from mm-hmm. the weight on your shoulders. Like that is the cost of doing business when hiring on employees. There's a beautiful space for employees in many different businesses and particularly yours. And I, I promise you, like the grass is greener on that other side when you let go of the fact that, oh, contractors are easier. Contractors are just like the better way of doing business. Like that's not true, honestly, for more time than contractors were a part of the worker landscape. Employees were the way to go and they still are. And like Jennifer said, there's a lot of people who just want to be employees. They want that stability. They want to be loyal and trustworthy to a company. I I really think you have to, you have to let go of a lot of like, oh, it's easier to have a contractor. It's honestly, sometimes I think it's 10 times easier to have an employee. Once you set up systems on the back end of payroll and your insurance, and also that's like a one and done thing, and then it's kind of out of your hands, it's great because then you're not worried about all this stuff that we're talking about. There's a lot of worry that comes with contractors. So letting that go is 100% worth the cost to me, honestly. I had to step into this place of confidence being like, no, I'm hiring someone because my business is doing so well that I need this person and they will allow me to scale. And because I'm scaling, I will have reliable income because of their performance. That's the mental hurdle. Like, again, get rid of the head trash, like Paige said. Like, get rid of the head trash that is that like little seed of doubt that you're not going to be able to make payroll three years from now. Guess what? You're going to find a solution. You're a savvy business owner. You probably made it through your travel business during COVID. So you've got some resilience in you. But One thing that I just mentioned is performance. So performance evaluations, can you shed light on what that looks like on either structure and how you can provide feedback based on performance for contractors versus employees? Yeah, employees, you can provide performance feedback at any time. I think employees prefer it more. I've been talking about this a lot in like kind of my my group coaching space and like when I'm talking with other CEOs. Employees want more feedback than you are actually giving them. So uh, so that means anything to you. I think we tend to give contractors more feedback, which is very interesting because you want them to like do the project the way that you want it done. And I think you're implicitly giving them more feedback because you're not in constant communication with them and you don't really realize that you're doing it. So legally speaking, it doesn't matter who you're giving feedback to in that respect. Like you can give feedback to a contractor the same way that you would an employee, you know, just know that a contractor like could take it or leave it and be like, cool, thanks for the feedback. Like I, this is the way I do things. And like, if you don't like the way I do things, like I'm going to go work for somebody else. An employee, again, I think it goes back to like loyalty, trust, hard work, workmanship, like they, they're going to take that to heart and do better next time. I, f- for all intensive purposes, though, most the majority of contractors want feedback so they can do better for you, right? They want a good referral. Yeah. They want to end on a good relationship with you as well. Are most contractors typically, and this is a very broad statement, but do you tend to see contractors more as project-based versus this like yep. kind of vague ongoing? Okay. So is that how you would recommend working with contractors is more project-based versus this unending, unknown time span? Because that can imply employment. It can imply employment. I would say that the two exceptions to that are like inbox management or like very specific client management situations that occur every single day or every single week that need to get done that are just those mundane tasks that it doesn't really matter what time of the day they get done as long as they like get done that's fine to still have as like a virtual assistant contracted type of person in your business. 
But if you're relying on them every single day, if you're throwing new tasks at them every single day, that's kind of beyond the scope of the contracted work that they signed on with you for, then they're looking an awful lot like an employee. Okay. So you mentioned something a second ago, and this really feeds into it. You mentioned that you've set up your processes, your SOPs and things like that. What would you say to the advisor? This is very common. I'm just going to like preface it with that. And I, I sat in this seat, so I feel like I can say this without throwing shade on anyone. What would you say to the travel advisor who feels more comfortable hiring a quote unquote VA, whatever, whether it's through a service or someone that they've found because they have not set up processes internally that they feel would support actually bringing on someone as a hire. Does that make sense? Like, I think it feels much more natural when we're in the weeds and we're overwhelmed to be like, oh, I'm just going to hire a VA to help a couple hours a day. Whereas when I thought like I need to hire someone, it's like they are peeling back the curtain because now they're inside my team and they're going to see that I don't have processes in place. And it's my responsibility as an employer, not necessarily as a you know contract relationship, but it feels like it's more responsibility on me as an employer to have these processes and things in place to onboard someone. But a contractor can't be successful without those processes. So can we just talk through that a little bit? Because I I feel like there's a little bit of a misnomer in Mm -hmm. that philosophy. Yeah, I think it's backwards thinking, to be very frank. Like, I honestly think, no, and I'm saying like you and I have probably both experienced it, where we thought that that's what needed to occur when bringing on an employee, but it's actually the opposite. In my like experience working with thousands of entrepreneurs, when you're hiring a contractor, there's just like this assumption that they have all of their shiz together and they're going to know everything on how to do it a better way for your business. And this is the way to go when actually they want the play by play on how you do it. They will do it that way and then they will do it more efficiently. And they will also find ways to like fix your SOPs or workflows, but they need some foundation to rely on. I would say when you are hiring on a contractor where you're not giving them any SOPs or workflows, you're actually setting them up for massive success and that independent contractor relationship will not work out. And so you're actually, it's it's not the right viewpoint. You think you need to do that for an employee, but you actually need to do that for any worker that's coming on for you. Any Nobody worker. can mind read and contractors don't have the time to mind read. They're not working with you day in and day out. They don't have the ability to hop on calls with you. Like you're not as invested in them either um, (laughs) as you would be in an employee. So honestly, from my experience and from other people that I've seen hiring on, you know, like employees to do very specific tasks in their business, but also to like help create good SOPs and workflows, you need a little bit more longevity. You need a lot more control over that person to be able to do that and to help you. And I would say that's in more of the employee space. So try to like switch your frame of mind there that this contractor is going to like whip my business into shape because it's usually not going to happen that way. I would say employees whip your business into shape way more than contractors. But regardless, you need good SOPs and workflows for whomever you're bringing on to your business. Nobody can mind read. You know your business so well, but it's in 15 million different places online. And so if people don't know where to go, they're always going to have to ask you and you're going to be bottlenecked with contractors because they're only working a certain amount of hours per week. And they're just trying to get a lot of the things done that you ask them to. And they don't have time to like look at the back end and what's going wrong. And and if they do, they're going to charge you for it. Yeah. They're going to charge you for it or they're going to be really frustrated, to be honest with you. Like you need to give them a good playground to play on. It's so interesting that you mentioned the concept of they don't have time for that. Because if you have contracted someone 10 hours that week or 10 hours a month is actually like a normal amount that we see people kind of transitioning into some VA hiring is it usually starts at like 10 to 20 hours a month and then goes up from there. But 
they don't have time. You need to give templates or something. And I find that so many advisors don't trust the people that they're hiring. And they're like, well, I did bring on a VA, but it didn't work out. So I don't think I can bring on someone else. Now I know what actually happened there. (laughs) I know that they failed to prepare templates, SOPs that allow someone to effectively do the job. And then they expected someone to read their mind. And when that expectation naturally fell through, they now distrust everyone other than themselves to run their business. And then they're constantly in the grind. They're exhausted. And they just genuinely believe that the beginning and end of their business fully relies on themselves. Do you find this often with other industries and other entrepreneurs? Is this a common pitfall that people are falling into when not creating processes and defining them for themselves? Yeah, absolutely. It happens, I would say, (laughs) the majority of the time. (laughs) Um, And I just want to say to everyone, I, I don't want you to be discouraged because it's all a learning lesson. Like contractors are going to come and go in your business a lot. Don't take it personally, take it as a learning lesson and do better next time as a leader and a mentor and an employer. You can only learn from those situations. Yeah, some are going to like cut a little harder, but most of the time, like this is just business. Like really try to tell yourself that every single time. This is just business. I, d- th- I cannot take this personally. My personal life is so much different than this. You are going to have failures. You are going to have failures with whatever workers you bring on, whether they're contractors or employees. You're going to have a lot of them. And just know that now going into it and have good exit interviews with anyone who will allow you to have an exit interview. You don't just do those for employees. I do them for contractors all the time. And for contractors and for all intents and purposes, I always try to find them like a new home or point them in the right direction of somebody else that I would recommend because you just don't want to end on completely bad terms. But they are more likely to like give you really <laughs> unsolicited feedback for the most part if you are parting ways at that point, no matter what the worker is. So yeah, I see it all the time. And I think you just have to realize like if you're newer to the industry as well, start small, start by hiring on somebody that's just going to take on like one small task for you. Don't assume that they're going to take on everything and whip your business into shape. You need to remember you're still going to be doing the majority of the work and you're going to, it's building blocks. You're going to build upon each worker that you hire. And the, the biggest thing I can also say with a lot of the worker landscape that has occurred in the past couple of years is people are really tired of doing more than what their job description says, and they will push back at that. So be Mm -hmm. very cognizant of that for contractors or employees. Contractors are going to say no because they don't want to be on their job description and they aren't going to work more than 10 hours while they're trying to figure out your business. (laughs) Like they're not going to, they're not supposed to. And employees in particular, like they're going to want more pay or they're going to want more benefits for doing more than what they agreed to when they started working for you. So that's a change that's happening nowadays that we all have to really jump on board. Also, I do think there's a huge generational shift with that, which is really interesting that there is a more empowered generation working as employees now, and they're very confident in setting boundaries. That is not the baby boomer generation. They were like, I'm on salary. I will pick up my phone. I will check my email at 10 p.m. at night. I will grab the laptop and sit on the computer no matter what it does to the family dynamic. There was a lot of self-sacrifice. And now there's a very large shift in that where it's like, I don't know if I'm going to have the bandwidth to get this done by 5 p.m. today. And I'm like, what? (laughs) But it's refreshing at the same time. I'm like, gosh, I wish I had had that gumption and confidence to be able to say that when I was working in HR. And I have to really applaud that. I appreciate that honesty too. So as a manager, as a business owner, you know, that can be like this kind of like, startle slap in the face a little bit. Like, what do you mean? You don't care about my business just as much as I care about my business. You're not going to pull an all-nighter for this project and this rollout we're doing tomorrow. No, they're not because 
they are an employee. They're not an owner. And maybe if you have some kind of profit sharing or something like that, maybe that entices that kind of behavior. But at the same time, you just really have to be respectful of boundaries as you start to employ the younger generations because they will push back 100%. Yeah. And I love that. I I really do love that. It, it did. Uh, it was an adjustment at first because I just didn't come from the mentality. But now I'm like, okay, I dig that. Okay, so I know we mentioned cost implications of bringing on an employee, and I want to touch on this a little bit further before we move into our wrap up section. But I want to ease people's mind because to me. I pay for Gusto. I love Gusto. I utilize Gusto for payroll and I've done all of my state filings through there. We have the concierge level and they do our employee handbook. Yes, there are costs to all of that. But what I will say is that there was definitely an ROI emotionally to all of that. Growing your team can feel daunting. From creating an employee handbook to processing payroll, there is so much to consider. However, Gusto can simplify it all by acting as your in-house HR professional. Gusto offers various tiers of membership so that you can decide what level of support best fits your organization. Our team trusts Gusto to handle state filings, manage taxes, create our employee handbook, track PTO, and so much more. If you're not an HR pro, but need one on your team without the overhead, check out Gusto. Get $100 off when you enroll using our affiliate code found in the show notes. I know that I have someone on the other end of the line that if there is an HR question, I can submit a ticket. If there's a tax question, I can submit a ticket. I was given an employee handbook and they actually customized it to our business, which created this credibility with our employees that we were an official business. And so, yes, I want to say there's obviously going to be some additional costs, not just your loaded labor that you're paying the the costs of taxes on your payroll, but there is going to be the payroll processing. There's probably going to be a legal fee because you do want to put that IC contract in place. But like you said, these costs are one and done. Are there any cost to be aware of with ICs as well? Or is this just something that you just kind of have to emotionally and financially prepare for with employees knowing that there will be a return on that? Yeah. I mean, I think legal costs here, we're really talking about contracts and Mm -hmm. I haven't delved into that too much here in this episode, but I want to, because it's really, go for it. I think it's really important. We're always thinking about like the money we're paying them and the money we're paying them and where, how we're processing payroll and all of those things. And like the HR questions that you have, that's great to have a professional look over. But the one thing I don't want you to skimp on is the starting point the the laying of the foundation at the beginning of your working relationship is the cost of that legal document or legal documents you need them to sign. And it's it's very similar to kind of a one and done thing where you get a good contract for an independent contractor or an employee agreement. You're going to have one or the other. You got to start there. And you can use that for all of the people that you bring on. But a mistake that I see a lot of people making is kind of non-disclosure agreements and non-compete agreements. And an IC agreement is going to have a lot of the clauses and information in it that you need to ensure that you're protecting yourself. The working relationship clause that they agree to being an independent contractor, they agree to invoicing you, so on and so forth. And you can have a non-solicitation clause in there, which prevents independent contractors from honestly like stealing your clients after the work is completed. They can't solicit your own clients. And non-disclosure agreements or confidentiality clauses can also be in independent contractor agreements. And all of these are also in employee agreements. But They can sign a separate NDA. A lot of times that's good for contractors who are coming into your business and they're going to get a lot of intel and a lot of information. And so having them sign a separate NDA agreement is great because it's a one-pager document. It shows clearly that they understood what they were signing and it wasn't just a confidentiality clause hidden in an independent contractor agreement. For legal purposes, it's always good for evidence and proof that they knew what they were signing and you explained to them what they were signing. The biggest mistake I see is non-competes in independent contractor relationships. 
a cost of hiring an employee, yes, dollars and insurance and, you know, paying your share of taxes and all of that, though the benefit could be you have them sign a non-compete agreement. So you can have employees sign non-competes. It's very state dependent. So it depends on where they live and where you live. You're going to have to look into that. Non-competes are becoming questionable more Mm -hmm. as the years go on. There's a lot more case law surrounding it. Some states like non-competes, some states don't. So you really need to look into that. But as long as it's pretty restrictive in time and in scope, so like region-wise, then... Like geography? Yeah, geography. You can really impose a decent non-compete in most states. There's some states that say absolutely not. But that's the best part about an employment agreement is you can have a non-compete clause in there. But do not ever, ever, ever put a non-compete clause in an independent contractor agreement because they are independent by nature. They can compete by nature. They can do certain things, but they, you know, they can't like steal your workflows and processes and start their own business. And, you know, they can't solicit your clients that can still be in an IC agreement. Okay. Amazing. That's super helpful. I do want to say that the link for the IC contract will be in the show notes, as well as the terms and conditions that we created for Travel Advisor. So we will link the specific contracts that we've been discussing in this episode in the show notes, as well as just a general link to the legal page template shop. So if you're like, holy cow, I don't have any of these in place. I really need to tighten up my processes. We've got you covered. Before we go, before we do the closing, I would love to hear specifically how you recommend someone who's just getting on the on-ramp for hiring, whether it be for an IC or they're looking to hire directly into their team as an employee. What are the easy takeaways or tips that you can recommend that will position someone for success and longevity in working with someone that gives them the results they're looking for in their business. Yeah. So kind of best practices here for yes. you as you're growing your team. I have three big ones actually that I I like to tell people. I mean, this is legal, but also just management wise as well that I've learned over the years. Um, hire slowly, fire fast. You've heard it hopefully before you start bringing on workers, but that's really important that you find the right people before they come onto your team. So protect your team dynamic. Make sure you're vetting new team members before they're onboarded. Don't just think they're going to like jump in to the deep end and be a good fit. And if they're not a good fit, you know, if it doesn't work out and they become a part of the team, you need to let them go pretty quick. Like don't keep people on forever and like assume that they're going to do better. Protect what's working for your team. And then maybe you need to reevaluate putting a different candidate in that position. And then legal wise, you can do this through a probationary period. That's really great for employees. So your employee knows that there's a trial period of them working for you and it allows you legally to let someone go without cause in a lot of states at will employment. But probationary periods are great as well to not leave that open-ended. At will employment states are the majority of the U.S., but it kind of they assume that they're at will all the time, but probationary periods are great because it really allows you to be able to have an employee work really hard at the beginning of their working relationship with you. So you can decide if this is going to be a good fit or not. And they're not just like you have them on for two plus years. Same goes for contractors too. I would say legally speaking, like set up an independent contractor relationship for a shorter period of time and then be able to like sign a new agreement to work together. So don't make this like a year long endeavor of working with them, like start with a few months or have it month to month and then maybe sign on to a longer relationship with them. The second one is see, this is, I've learned this from some experienced professionals on test projects prior to having people join your team, pay candidates for test projects or to handle a client situation before you hire them. This is, I love this. This has been transformational in my business. 
of they may interview really well. You may think they are a great fit. And then you just are like, I don't need to do a task project. I don't really need, you know, I, I know they're going to be great. They look awesome on paper. They're awesome in interviews. They're going to be great with clients. Then you onboard them and do all this work. And then they're not, and they can't do the tasks and the projects that you assumed they could do for you. So plan out some really good test projects. Be willing to pay for them to do it. Don't tell them to do it for free. Pay them to do the test project prior to working for you. It is 100% worth it for the cost. And set up some difficult client scenarios and see what they can do with those client scenarios or whatever you're hiring this person for, right? Like make them write you 10 email responses if they're in your inbox, you know, inbox management. And then the very last one is if you do have to fire someone, uh, this is a big lesson that I've learned (laughs) and from myself is before you fire that person or let them go or you transition out. I don't want that transition period to be long. I want it to be short. And before you even tell them, I need you to take them out of all of your systems and remove permissions prior to doing this before you let them go. (laughs) Don't think you let them go. And then you have this transition process and you're going to take them off of all of these things. I mean, you, you can't control if they're leaving and they tell you, then you have to do that as quickly as possible. It's literally like you stop everything and get them out of all of your online platforms. But for the most part, you know, we're talking here about remote workers and they have access to all these different things and you need them off because you don't want them to steal any work product out of spite or change anything in your business or delete anything, God forbid, or have them have access to things. I I know people that have like still have independent contractors that have Google Doc access because they forgot to get rid of them. So be very, very, very careful of that. Those are my three big tips as you're bringing people on just to remember in the back of your head, along with, of course, contracts and making sure they're sending you invoices if they're contractors and those types of things. So that's really funny because you just took me back years. I used to work in HR at a shipping company. And when we terminated someone, I was like the runner. So this is, I should not laugh at this. I don't mean this in a humorous way because I think that terminating anyone is like such a heavy thing. And it it means that someone has lost a job. So I don't mean to make light of this, but I did have these flashbacks to as soon as someone would be taken in the office, they would be like, Jennifer, take the keypad to IT and then run to blah, 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 and take away their laptop. Like it was, I had like a list of tasks to get all of their accesses removed while they were in that office. So we were literally like these little ninjas running around trying to like gather up their technology, take it to IT, return it, all of this stuff, which sounds so sketchy right now, but it is such an important piece of protecting your business. And I I understand it fully now. It just, it was just a wild time. But I want to completely ditto your hire slow because you said it earlier in the episode, you will hire the wrong people. You will make mistakes. You will have egg on your face. You will have to let them go. All of these are very hard conversations and hard realizations and hard lessons to learn. I worked in HR for years. I was the recruitment manager for multiple hospital systems. And I still, as I went into Explorator Antique, we still made the wrong hires. Like it was my entire career. And I knew and had all the resources that one could possibly have creating a recruitment plan. And I still brought on the wrong people because I didn't have a specific list of tasks that I wanted them to do. And I had this very ambiguous job description that was kind of all over the place. And really that same person that's doing marketing might not be great at finance too. So I think I had unrealistic expectations and hiring the right person for that just simply didn't exist. I mean, Ashlyn's a total unicorn and, and we say that all the time, but you do have to be very specific and realistic in who you're hiring and the jobs that they're filling because having someone do newsletters and also pull your P&Ls may not be the same person. And you might need to outsource one of those tasks and just focus on the primary focus of that hire. So I appreciate you sharing all of that. It is a very real thing that you will most likely have to let someone go because of a mistake, frankly, that you made in the hiring process. Yeah. And just knowing that you will get there. 
Uh, Mm -hmm. If I can leave on a positive note, the team I have now, I'm so thankful for. They're amazing. We have contractors. We have employees. I have, you know, 10 to 15 people at any given time. Everyone works great together. We've had some hiccups along the way. I'm sure we'll have hiccups in the future. But having team dynamics that are solid, that you're happy to work with every single day, that people are happy to be on your team means everything. And so just knowing like it is great, you can scale, you can grow, you can be a very successful, healthy business, and you can get time back as a business owner by hiring people. So it is absolutely worth it to put all this (laughs) into, you know, your daily routine. And it is going to be worth it. I promise you, we just are giving you some tips on how to do it better and how to learn along the way and how to do it legally, of course, and kind of knowing what you're getting yourself into if you're just starting out. Absolutely. We're in the same boat. I mean, our team, we're moving, we're shaking. We have the best company culture. I really do think that comes from staying true to your vision and being honest on if someone is impacting your culture and just remembering your values, your mission, your vision through the recruitment process and say like, is this someone I want to have lunch with? Is this someone that I love on our team that they would have lunch with? Would they be best friends? One of the biggest telltale signs of someone's longevity in a company is if they have a best friend in the business. So you want to create a culture of Mm. friends. You do. I would say you want to create that. Um, I could get into I know this is like a whole thing. (laughs) Uh, I just always say like, don't treat your team like your family. Like you're not family. They are working for you. There Mm -hmm. needs to be a respect line and employer, you know, employee or contractor relationship there. Keep that line really clear because things are going to happen. And just, just be careful of the family line. The friend line is important. You want them to feel comfortable working for you and happy to be working for you. So, and each other. I mean, more so even each other. Like, I I feel like that across peers, like, I want two members of our team to be like, we went to Italy for a retreat and two of them peeled off and they did their own thing afterward. And it just made my heart warm that, like, we brought two people together that, yes, they have a working relationship, but they're excited to do this adventure on their own. And I think that's really lovely to have a team that, on Monday morning, even if there is, you know, a boss employee relationship, we're all excited to see each other on that Monday team call. So I agree with that completely. Oh, there are so many more questions we could we could cover. I won't do that because like employment law is an entire niche career for a reason, obviously. It is definitely more than an hour and 15 minutes. So yes, we are doing the most with the limited time we have. And thank you so much for gifting us with that time page. We are so grateful for you taking the time to join our team and our audience to shed light on the best ways to grow their team. If you are looking for more help in getting your business legally legit, please, please, please head on over to the legal page. Like I mentioned, the link will be in the show notes. Check out the templates and find those contracts that best suit your business. As always, thank you to our listeners for joining another TikToks episode. If you are loving our content, we would love and appreciate your support and feedback. Head on over to the Apple Podcast, hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and review. We'd be forever grateful. We're sending you a long distance cheers because you just finished another episode of TikTok. If you loved what you heard, hit subscribe and head over to the show notes for any resources and a summary of this episode. In the meantime, if you want more access to us, we are personally inviting you to join our Niche by Teak community, where we host live events, answer your questions, share destination masterclasses, and give you a front row seat to all the resources that we launch throughout the year. Plus, what's better than being surrounded by like-minded advisors that are hyping you up to succeed each day? We think nothing. Head over to www.teakhq.com backslash niche to join the community today.